Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Cody Deering, and he chats with us about how he started the ranching life, what it's like clinicking, and a little bit about the feel-based approach that he teaches. So, hope you enjoy. I, I think I would be considered an out, always an outgoing person, outgoing personality. I have no problems. You know, my when I was young, my uh, parents would give me the money to go pay the bill in a restaurant. It's like, okay, you go up there and pay. And so that really, how I think that's so important for a kid to at least get a couple of those experiences. But Anyway, so I was like that. I had no problem saying hello to people. I wasn't shy in that way. But it's like, if I feel like I'm on stage, I don't, you know, that's, that, that sort of bothers me. And so just, just a mental hang up, right? And so just like everything to be, you know, free flowing and easy. And that's just like the horsemanship that I talk about, that I practice. It's like this not making things such a production, not having to prove anything to anybody. And if it doesn't work out, then you just, do something else, you know what I mean? So I think that's important, just like uh, getting people to uh, be comfortable talking to you. And it's the same with the horses, getting them to be comfortable around you. That would be the number one thing, and then the trust. Then after that's established, then you can create some some things. Yeah. So when did horses officially come into your life? Well, it was one of those things when you're just a baby, you know, the proud parent puts you up on the you know, uh, up on the horse, so like then, but I mean, I'm gonna answer this question a little bit more in depth, but that's too broad. It's like, yeah, okay, so I was, I've been riding since I was born, you know what I mean? I think anybody that's involved with the horse, especially ranching families or cowboy families, you know, we always have this thing where we take the newborn. As soon as, as soon as mom lets us, we put the baby up on there, it's official now, you know? The kid's got his first horseback ride, you know, it's like, and then how it's long like was that? It two was, days old. Yeah, it was like, yeah, two days older. It's like, you know, eight, eight minutes after birth. Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> Let me borrow oh the kid for a minute. Yeah. So anyway, but my family had a little ranch up in Humboldt, Humboldt County up there by Ferndale, right outside of Ferndale, California. So that's where you're originally from? Well, I was actually born in the Monterey Bay down huh, in okay. Watsonville. Mm-hmm. And then so I was lived around Aromas. You know, it's funny, you try to re- you remember back and you, you haven't thought of these things mm-hmm. in years and then your memory starts going. So that's that's pretty interesting because I was going to talk about the other place. No, I had my first horse uh, there in Aromas and uh, California, Monterey Bay there outside of Watsonville. And it was a horse named Little Chief <laughs> and it was this pinto pony. And I wish I could contact this, this gal that she, she was probably 13 years old and she came down there and I was, I don't know, yeah, I was by four, maybe four years old, five, something like that. And then, so she'd come down, neighbor girls, Native American gal, and she'd come down there. We got pictures of this, it's it's so cool. And she'd pony me around there. So I'd just be bareback and she'd pony me and everything. And there was some cattle there, but honestly, my family, I didn't come from a big cowboy family or whatever, but we had uh, we had small acreage, but was very much into the horses and, and cattle. and having animals around there and everything so so that's where I got my start and my love of horses and then a little later I had this pony called uh, Spunky. Sp- and, Did yeah. you name these ponies or no, they I, came with I names? I can't remember that if I <laughs> named them or not. Yeah Spunky so you could imagine. I don't really think about these things until I'm really talking about them but and just self-reflecting but you know we'd go down that driveway down to the mailbox and back and that was sort of my route and my grandparents said oh don't go past this you know we want to keep an eye on you and so I'd take that pony down there and down to the road and then I'd turn around and come back 
but I always talk about preaching that, uh, talking about straightness in a horse, and that's like the first thing. Maybe in a dressage model kind of a thing, it's the, the steps through, you know, the, uh, the straightness. That might come later, but see, that's not the straightness I'm talking about there. What the, what the dressage model is talking about is straightness through the body, the muscle in the straight on this side, he's equal on the, on the muscles on the, on the right and the left. But I'm talking about straightness as a direction. And so just reminiscing about this, you know, that was that, that first, those first rides on solo on that pony, just going down the driveway, which is an alleyway in itself, you know, eucalyptus trees on both sides, it's shady and dark, but going down there and just lining out straight, and I didn't know anything, right? But all I knew, I was going somewhere, and then that pony was taking me. And then through life, you get to ride and get to learning more things, and you sort of lose track of that simple ride. So that's pretty important to uh, to go back to that foundation. You know? Yeah. Did you ever have like structured lessons, or was a lot of it do it yourself, figure it out? Never had structured lessons. Then through school, I'd always go up to my grandparents' ranch. And uh, so we're almost after they moved up to Humboldt County in Ferndale. So I'd go up there for the summer and grandpa would always uh, get a pony for me, at least one. And we got it. And what was cool about that, that I really appreciated that I didn't have just the same pony every year, you know. I got a new one to learn and they all felt a little different. So I remember he'd get on, <laughs> he'd get on, <clears throat> ride him around. It just looked funnier than heck, you know, his feet are dragging. He goes, you go like this, and you go like this, and you turn him this way and stuff, and okay, he'll be all right for you, and then he get on, and they're just, just riding around. But those were, you know, looking back and reminiscing over that, that was like the best rides, right? Because you didn't, you didn't complicate it. All you knew is, hey, I want to go over there. And somehow, some way, and especially without the formal training, that pony went. I don't remember really getting in a fight with the pony, and, and if, he, if he didn't go, we worked it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then you rode all through middle school, high school, all of that? Yeah, and then what I would do is, so I kept, I had that connection, so then I was all over just north of this. So anywhere from, you know, San Jose, Santa Cruz, Monterey Bay, and then I split my time between there and up in Humboldt County in Ferndale. And then uh, there was a point there, I think it was right after, right after ninth grade, I had moved up there. I just wanted, I knew I wanted to have that lifestyle more. I didn't get out of the city and everything. So moved and, up to Humboldt County? Into Humboldt okay. County, yeah. But in the interim, we'd go over to San Jose. There was a, I can't remember the name now. There was a huge riding stable over there. You can go rent horses. My friends and I would go over there and ride. The fascinating thing was I'd always want to get on a new horse and then just feel what they felt like, you know. And then there was times where somebody had a horse for sale and I didn't have the money to buy a horse. But I'd say, yeah, you know, uh, I'm looking for a horse, and my parents, you know, they're just, they're sent me out here. So I just <laughs> get free rides on horses. <laughs> I go, you know, act like I was interested, and then I get to ride them a little bit. So, what do you think it was yeah. about riding all of these different horses that you were drawn to? The different feel that they're just like people, they're individuals. So, the same thing, what, you know, uh, I have this friend, and he's got this personality, and, and I like this friend for, for these traits. I might not like all the traits, but I like these, you know, this trait cracks me up and this, this trait's nice. And, and then you have another friend totally on a different plane and you like them too, but you like them for different reasons. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to complicate that. So just leave that explanation as it is. And then so the same with the horses. So one horse is, is fast and he's, he's very controllable at speed. And another horse, he's fast too, but he's not controllable at speed. 
just on a base level with no training, right? Or as he is, riding them as they are. And But he's really good at, he walks out really nice. And if you keep things on the low, on the low key, he's just really a great horse, just don't go fast with him, you know? And like I said, without, you know, these things can be, can be worked on, but just on, on a base level, because I didn't know any training. Yeah. Know. Did you ever want to take lessons and they weren't available or you? No, I never really wanted to take lessons because I think, and I don't mean to make it sound wrong, like I, you know, I had the better education than anybody else that had it, you know, but like going down the driveway. I think that's the first thing somebody should learn, but it's just going straight, not having, only having one thought, we're going from here to there. And then just think about that. And you know, all the experience I've had and the different training methods I've studied and all that, it just comes full circle to that. Today at the clinic, we were just talking about that, about that straightness. Goodness sakes, if you can't even go around the arena and he's cutting in, he's cutting out, he's going to the right and left, but how about just as many rides as you need, riding them forward in a forward-oriented walk that takes you somewhere. That's really important. I didn't know it at the time, but that foundation was good enough for me. I didn't need anything else Yeah. to be able to ride. That's all you need. So what happened after high school? Did you go to college? I did. I went to community college there, College of the Redwoods. I sort of had a <laughs> different... I took three different courses of study. So the first one I took was aquaculture. And so warm water and, and, and uh, cold water aquaculture and the, the steelhead salmon and stuff, we studied that. And that was really cool because I liked to fish. So just did that. And so sometimes it's good. I was always in just saturated horses and cattle were everything, but I just wanted something different, you know. And it was a fun kind of thing, subject. And, and so I just wanted to do that. And, cut the like why should college be a drag you know it's like why don't you study something you really enjoy or you're interested in mm -hmm. so I did that a little bit and then I'd go and I was rodeoing at the time and I don't have big rodeo stories to tell but I was riding bareback in saddle bronc and I don't know I rodeoed for about four or five years maybe something like that and wasn't really good at it at the bronc riding and stuff and then that sort of shaped my horse training later on because it's like I'm not I'm not a bronc rider at all I mean I I think I have some some balance there, but uh, on a real uh, bronchy one, you know, I'm gonna probably come off. So I never claimed to be a bronc rider. So that instituted me just getting those horses more prepared so they wouldn't buck. But anyway, but back to the college story. And then I, I'd go off and rodeo for a while, go down and I'm now I'm down in Hornitos, California to friends. And then I just never made it back to class. <laughs> they got a ranch and then I started cowboying for them. And you know, they had horses to ride and cattle to move. So that's like, that's bad. Why would I go back to, you know, stripping out steelhead's eggs, you know, on the fish. So then of course, then the next semester I'd roll around. And I, I, you know, I totally blew that semester. So I'd go back, re, re-sign back up, you know, and so then I took some law enforcement for a little while. I was going to get a two-year degree. But these were all just like ideas. I was interested in so many things that I couldn't decide. What I ended up with is what I was doing all along. It was just the riding the horses. That was what I should have went with. Then, of course, I'd run off and get lost again at the rodeos and then meet another girl or rancher or something and then I'd stay and then so then when I came back I go you know what I just don't really need to hone in on what I really love and that's horses and cattle so then I took some feeding some feeding courses I don't I didn't have a degree or anything but just community college stuff and feeding and what right. sense? feeds and feeding so like growing well yeah so understanding cattle nutrition 
range management plants, how the whole uh, ecosystem works, yeah, process yeah. goes, and everything. And and I remember I had a, a, a TRS eighty uh, Radio Shack computer, you know, and I did this whole program with the with the Pearson Square. So anybody listening that knows about a Pearson Square, so it's just a cross fraction, uh, cross multiplied formula. But it was fun for me. So I just my point with that is that I was really passionate about it. And I love the idea of, of learning about cattle. So, so that morphed, and I never really went back to college after that. And then, and this uh, is early twenties. Yeah, yeah, early twenties, and then I moved to Montana. That gave me tremendous amount of cowboying opportunity working on these ranches, and I got I got so much riding in out there, and that was great. And so that started to shape. And then I thought, okay, this is what I want to do right here. Did you ever have like quote unquote a normal job? Like a coffee shop job or like kind of like one of those? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, through the years. Yep. Yep. So I'm an opportunist. And, and there are a lot of the ranching jobs, you can have a ranch job for a long time. You can get into these and they'll keep you forever. And then other ones, you know, cowboys are known for just cycling through. They want to see new countries. So, and you might get in on for the seasonal works. I really enjoyed like night calving. So that's you're taking care of the mama cows at night. They need a night shift, basically. And so I sort of enjoyed that. I can be uh, alone with my horses and, and doing that. I had, uh, yeah, all kinds. You know, the, the strangest job that I had was repairing, that was here in California, repairing shopping carts. I was up in Miwok Village, and so we'd show up with our, our trailer, and we'd have all the extra pieces, extra wheels and bearings, and then we'd just go through the shopping carts, power wash them, spray paint them again if we need it, change a wheel out. Interesting. <laughs> so shopping cart repair business, and that was like the most bizarre at times. It was a, sort of a weird kind of a job, and I just got hired on. I had about 10 bucks or something, and so I had to last through the week. He said, I'll pay you guys at the end of the week. And so I got a can of oats, and then I had some water and I had the ability to heat. So I just ate oatmeal. And a lot of times it was just dry oatmeal. I wouldn't trade that. It's like, could you could you take that? Could you live on oatmeal for a week? Like, could you mentally do that? And, oh, no, absolutely not. But that changes you. And that makes you appreciate that steak just a little bit more when you can have steak, you know. So that was good for me. Yeah, so then what brought you out to Montana? Just the ranching cowboy stuff? Yeah, so I knew I wanted, I didn't know anything about Montana. The connection I had there was I went to a bronc riding school out in Tremont, Utah. So I went out there uh, to learn more about saddle bronc riding, and that was great. And so the other young cowboys there, guys going to the University of Montana at Missoula. And so we just traded phone numbers. So I just headed out and met him out there in Missoula. So you were doing the ranching life. So when did you start teaching slash clinicking? What did that journey look like? Okay, so there was a lot of okay, so a lot of things happened before that. So I started just working ranches, cowboying. Meaning for those that are listening, it's like what's the difference there? Well, it would be a ranch that uses horses, right? Not quads. So not quads, not four wheelers. There was a couple thrown in there. You know, I had a lot of jobs that cowboying job is that they're, they're going to get your horse back. You tend to you look for those jobs and maybe it's not all the time or maybe it's full-time cowboy and what full-time cowboy means you, you're you, every day you're horseback no matter what. You're not on the and those bigger ranches see they'll have the, the fencing crew, the farming crew, cowboy crew and so you, you, if you're a cowboy by gosh you gotta you're gonna get on the cowboy crew right you don't want to get on the fencing crew. Do you bring your own so, horses? 
Uh, sometimes you do, you know, that's, that's a good question right there. So a lot of times they'll have, uh, you'll get six to eight horses, we call them company horses, they'll be strung to you. When you show up, Jigger Boss will go out there and, and say, well, okay, Cody, you get this one, this one, this one, you get your string cut to you. But Jigger um, Boss is the property boss? Is the, well, there's the cow boss, okay? There's the owner, maybe, but maybe it's owned by a corporation. A lot of times these big ranches, I'm talking about these big giant, you know, 6,000 cows, 6,000 cow outfits. And so the cow boss, well, that's the cow boss. Jigger boss takes care of the, he's more on the horse side of things. You're saying jigger? Jigger, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's more the horse, uh, taking care of the horses and things like that. And then in other cases, you would bring your own horses. So when you get hired on or you call for the job, they'll say, okay, we don't, uh, we don't supply any company horses, so we want you to have some horses. And then they'll say, you know, at least five or six, right? They'll go, if you don't have five or six horses to bring personal ones, then, then don't come, you know, because they, because you do so much riding, you have to swap them out. And so whether it's company horses or personal horses, a ranch horse on those bigger outfits, they might only get rode once or twice a week during the heavy work because you're, you, you ride, you know, you're, you're horseback all day, right? 10 hours or whatever. And so then you just give them a break. So, and you have horses for different jobs, you know, on those ranches. So you have a big circle horse. So that's a horse that's going to go all the all day kind of horse. Mileage. Yeah, the mileage and he's going to go, you know, might be considered an endurance horse. Not that you're trotting all day, but, you know, if you're set to do a job to check the fence, then you might hit a high trot. you got to cover a lot of mileage, but those horses have to be pretty durable and keep that pace up. And then you have just different specialized jobs. So ask the boss what we're doing. Yeah, Cody, we're going to bring a bunch of cattle in here to, into the corral here tomorrow. We'll just do some, some pairing out and whatever, whatever, whatever. So... You're going to do some corral work, basically. And then so you'd pick a job. You'd get to know your horses if they're company horses. And they go, you know what? I'm not going to use my big outside circle horse that day. And, in fact, there's another horse that he really is pretty cowy, and he can uh, he can part out the cows pretty good. So you're going to pick one of those for that. So then pretty soon you get to know your string, six, eight horses in your string for a typical cowboy job. And then, yeah, and so you, you'll, you'll pick the job for your for your horses and did you have your own string at the t no i did not have my own string till later in life gosh darn i was like in my 30s or something mm. 40s actually late 30s 40s before i i didn't own a horse one really no not at all because i did there was plenty to ride on the ranch yeah that makes so, sense so yeah so obviously i didn't have those jobs where you had to bring your own later on i did yeah but uh yeah. do you feel like that benefited you not having your own because then you did ride a lot yeah, I think so. It was a financial thing too. Yeah, looking back, I don't regret that. So if you say, oh, would you rather have had your own through those years or ride just company horse? No, I'd rather ride company horses in because I got to uh, get to know them. And you don't know what you're going to get. So, uh, you know, two of them are Bronx and, you know, three of them are runaways. You know, I mean, it could go that way. And then one is really good and one's just like a cult that you're just starting, you know. So, but, but it's not that extreme in every case, but you'll have sure have different personalities. That's what's important for me, and that's the theme through all my horsemanship. Getting to know the horse as he is, and riding him as such, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were doing a bunch of ranching. How did you start training, Okay. teaching? Yeah, so I didn't know how to shoe at a certain point there early on, and so I started, and so this is before that story that I was telling you about those big outfits. So then I had to learn how to shoe because these ranches, they don't pay for a shoer to come. You know, each cowboy would shoe their own horses. So 
So I took a little break from there, and I had a friend that I had uh, known out here in California, and he, he moved to Kentucky. So I was talking, he goes, man, I learned how to shoe back here. This this older gentleman taught me, and he, and he goes, if you want to learn, I'll show you what I know and get you started. And I said, yeah, man, because I can't, they're not hiring me on these in these big ranches, you know. They weren't I, hiring like, because you didn't yeah, know how I to had shoe. No, I mean, I had no freaking clue how to how to do it. You could get by, a fella could get by, you know, if, if, if you hire on and uh, you can get, you know, you, you could even pay another cowboy to uh, to shoe for you. It's not ideal, but I mean, you ideal, can get you by do it a all yourself. Bit, but it's just, it's just, it's just better if you do it yourself. So I never really had that education. So I went and learned how to do that. And then I pulled away from cowboying a little bit and started to sh- just shoe locally, get some more experience. And then, and so then I went back and uh, I know how to shoe now, you know. Did you go to a school or you just went to your friend and learned? I did. apprenticed under, and I, I like that a lot. There's there's good schools and bad schools. There's a lot of bad schools as far as, and what is bad? what does a bad shoeing school mean? Well, they're not talking about that hoof function. It's just like this, the surface kind of shaped the shoe, and they're not getting into the anatomy, and they're not getting into the foot function. And so I went and I apprenticed. And so that my friend in Kentucky and then, Jim Dressler down in, in Wyoming, and Harold Frank, he was in Colorado. And so these guys were pretty accomplished. So I just hooked it, sort of found out about, you know, these guys and sort of legend horseshoers. And so uh, so I just hooked up with them. And anybody that's passionate about what they do, will, if they see a young person come along that has some passion about them. You know, it's the same at these clinics here. You know, you got the person sitting in the corner and there's different reasons why they're just not participating. You know, it's like if you were a musician and you're playing to a crowd and everybody's just like not having a good time. You're like, is it me? Is it? But then if you're playing to a crowd that's excited, it's like, yeah, that's cool. It's not that they have to give you praises, but they're at least they're learn they're like, oh yeah, they're they're participating basically. And they want to try a new thing. So it's not about the the teacher being so good it's about well you know what? I'm gonna try it I'm here I paid for the day let me try it out and then at the end of the day if it works it works but I could always throw it out the, the window later but at least I'm gonna try it I'm paying for it yeah you know? I think that's the main thing with clinics in general is you only are gonna learn what you're open to learning whether like when you go into something you have to be open to learning if you go there and you're like this is dumb then it's gonna be dumb <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's that preconceived deal. This is leading up to where how I started to to uh, to teach more. And so first, just getting that I wasn't even thinking about teaching. I mean, I was. Let's see. I don't know. You know, through the years, I'd teach a little bit here and there, but I wasn't like doing groups of people. Probably till 2008, something like that. And 2011, I got to, I started going over to Europe. Tell me more about um, that. I started this group on on Facebook. So now. You know, so 2011. So at that point, I had uh, done you know a lot of cowboying and a lot of a lot of horse training, starting colts, this and that. And then so I started uh, writing some things on Facebook. I started a group called uh, California Traditions. It's still on Facebook now. And then I just write some things. And then I got some interest from some people over in Europe and Switzerland and Germany. And this man called uh, John Claude Deasley. He was a uh, guy over there that he had come to the United States as German German guy he's he passed away now but mm-hmm. he brought a lot of those quarter horses over to uh, to Germany he had studied actually with one of my mentors uh, Ed Cannell 
Jean-Claude Deasley. So he was like the equivalent of the German uh, Ed Canal or the, the, the cowboy and uh, using these vaquero methods, these California style methods. And he was pretty well respected over there. So anyway, and then he got a hold of me wanting to do something in that. Right around there in the next year or so, uh, he had passed away. So these other people got a hold of me and said, yeah, you know what you're writing there, we like what you're saying, could you come over? And then so we worked it out to come over there, I think it was, uh, they won't, were wanting me to stay for like three months. And I said, you know, you don't even know me. I said, maybe, maybe I come over to, for two weeks, see how it goes. You know, yeah, three and that's to protect time. you and to protect me. You know, let's do, let's do a two week deal. Had you and, been and to go Europe from there. yet? No. Uh, cool. No. So that was pretty, pretty exciting for me. And this was to clinic, essentially, right? Yeah. Were you putting on clinics? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I had two to do. So one in Switzerland. And then I got on a plane and did another one in Germany. And these two people knew each other. And I was from 2011 up till I was doing that up to, you know, just a couple of years ago. So Still I at the same I places? hadn't been back. Yeah, in different places. Some of the same places and then some different ones. What were you feeling that first time flying over? What was the flight like? What were the emotions getting brought up in you? Yeah, it was exciting. It was surreal. It were was you by like yourself? I, like I can't, yeah, I was just by myself, you know. It's like I can't believe I get paid for doing this, you know. Mm -hmm. And then it was... Uh, yeah, just a surreal feeling, and so at any rate, going over there, yeah, it was surreal. It it was it didn't it didn't feel real, and then it was pretty exciting, you know, sort of, sort of felt like James Bond, you know, going over there. <laughs> did you did you mission. like Switzerland and Germany? Oh yeah, I loved it, and I learned it. That was the first place I landed was in 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 Zurich, Switzerland. Met a man over there, Marcus Garrick, and he uh, started to become my friend through the years. And did you have a translator? I did. I had some translator, but it's surprising how the Europeans they speak good English like more than not. Mm -hmm. I learned a little bit of German before I left and in preparation. In preparation and I could they wouldn't even let me speak it, you know, at the at the <laughs> airport of course, you know, as soon as I start to say, Oh, that's an American, you know. I can tell by the accent and then my struggle of trying to say the word and they just switched to English. Yep. You know, and so so it's a little frustrating because I wanted to learn. They wouldn't let me learn because they're just like, oh, you're an American. Don't even try. Just don't. Well, <laughs> we'll just switch over to English. We learned it in school, you know. As a, Do you have a favorite place that you've clinicked? Where I've taught, I wouldn't use the word clinicked. That's a, I, I know what you mean and I don't, you know, you don't know this, but um, where I have taught, where I've done some workshops a little bit better. Okay. That word is a little bit overused, but that's a, this is my personal thing. You know, it's my personal demons that don't want to say it that way. <laughs> Do you know what, that, so, what that's, does it but, feel presumptuous to say clinic? No, it's just overdone. It's sort of like the Vaccaro thing. Do I believe I, I, I practice this? Yeah, but that thing is just so overused, you know, and then so what does it mean anymore? So it's sort of like saying, um, I love you. I love you. I love you. There's no action behind it, but I love you. And it doesn't, the meaning goes away. Yeah. Favorite place. Favorite place. That you've done a workshop. Oh gosh, there's been there's been a lot of them. And you know, the thing about that is that what makes a workshop, what makes a clinic, it's fine. What makes that special? The people. I don't make it special. I present myself. Naturally, I feed off the energy as far as if you're really interested and you show me you're interested, I will pour my heart out. Mm -hmm. I will teach you everything that I know. More than the place, I like a lot of places, but what makes a workshop special, what makes it uh, fun for me and 
to where I'm yeah that satisfied kind of feeling it's not about me it's not about you know it's like wow I did a good job teaching this one you know it's about the people and so the people make the workshop so the more interest that they have the better the workshop is right playing to a dead crowd you know that's not that's no fun for, for anybody and so that's what makes it special so just the interest of, in the people they want to learn and uh, even if they don't go with my my deal it's fine but uh, you know I find a lot of people that are, are pretty open-minded it's okay if they don't agree but at least they're open-minded enough to try it you know what I mean and of course I'm not going to ask anybody to do something that they don't want to do in fact I have that as a disclaimer if I ask you to lope you're not comfortable loping then don't lope then just sit it out and why do you think over the years people have come to your workshop what is it about the way that you I think that they there's there's been a lot of you know this this whole clinic thing cowboy world you just learn it when you showed up at a ranch you know that's that's the on the job training I don't know exactly people come for different reasons I, I never wanted to be a cookie cutter so if I studied under somebody else or I watched somebody else uh, I always had the idea you know just make it your own it's sort of like studying for a report so you're in school and I you know, just, we've talked about it. I didn't really finish much college, but of course, I have got the concept of writing a paper, and so you got to be careful of plagiarism. You know, so you take the information that you gather and then turn that into your own, right? So you take pieces and parts, and it could it could sound similar, but you have your little twist on it. And I think that's important for individual people to have their own, that's good to have your own perspective. It's like, you know what this meant for me? It meant, it meant this for me. Like I'm getting the feedback of the clinic. And then I did, I wouldn't even think that way. I'd say, wow, that's a, that's interesting because I thought it meant this to you, you know, because I saw the physical, the changes going on there. And, but for them individually, it could be something just so over here. It's like, wow, okay, then that's great. If that's what it meant to you and that's what you were feeling, then that's your takeaway from the clinic. So everybody's takeaway could be different, you know. You know, don't try to be a carbon copy of your mentor, you know, because you're not. And through the years, this experience stacked one experience on top of the other. Now I can bring you experience. Is where you're at with workshops and uh, you said a little bit at home with starting colts and doing day lessons i think day, is what day you called work, it yeah. day so, work so day work means that uh, a ranch would hire you for the day ah uh, okay they need a little extra help so then they hire you so then you all out you bring your own horses and yeah then, yeah and so is that kind of where you want to be would you like to do more workshops I, i'd like to do some more workshops <laughs> for Anybody that lives in the North Country of Montana, I'd love the workshops to be in the wintertime. You know, so <laughs> to I'd get like you to, out of I'd there. I like to travel to California, then it's raining by then. Arizona, you know, through the winter. Everybody's trying to make a living. So I'm just a human like anybody else trying to make a living. So, so I would like to do it. But to answer your question more specifically, I don't know if I'd want to be full-time on, on the road at all. I want to stay at home and, and ranch. We have a ranch table uh, beef programs where I raise the beef and then I, I sell uh, beef packages to people and so we have this but you know that doesn't require me and when the cows are out in the pasture eating it doesn't take too much to keep them out there eating they're on their own so I would say that I'd, I'd like to get a little bit more and uh, probably through the winter time because winter winter time in Montana it's a not the best but we have a good spring summer and fall yeah and that's worth the cold weather 
Yeah. I would rather have moderate weather, spring, summer, fall, and then suffer through a winter. So it's just, everything's a trade-off. Did you ever workshop and bring your horses? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to get, and that's really good to do because you're given the example. You need an example to, to teach. You can. There's only so much theory you can do, but people want to see something like, like, show me, like, what would that look like, you know? And so I do a lot of demonstrations on the people's horses. If I perceive that this student has a, a horse that's, that, that's got a lot of things, they've got a lot of things working, worked out, in their horsemanship, and then I'll ask if I could do a little demonstration there, you know, or I'll ask them to do a demonstration if I see them really getting the maneuver. But mostly, when I travel out this far, I, I just I just show up and uh, don't bring the horses. And then, do a lot of your workshops have specific, like I believe the one you just did in Humboldt had cows and like you worked cows or something, yeah. and so. Yeah. Do what most of the clinics have a specific kind of quote-unquote goal, or are they kind yeah. of broad? The majority of the clinics that I do, they're uh, they're they're cattle related, and then like even today, we didn't have any cattle, but the methods can be applied to the cattle. We talk about like for instance, a drive line on a horse being the center of the shoulder or the cow, and the premise being that anything behind the drive line, the center of the shoulder, tends to uh, send the horse forward. And then any, anything, any energy sent ahead of that drive line, center of the shoulder ahead, tends to have a collecting effect or a stopping effect. And so we play with that drive line. So this is the same on cattle. So once you know the drive line and you know about position on a cattle or a horses or cattle, that's the greatest benefit, knowing that. Then, you, then you're not in a situation where, hey, you know, my horse won't go around me on the circle, but then they're staring them in the face, you know or they're looking at they're sort of rotated toward their shoulder trying to drive them out well the horse's instinct says if you if you start to focus on that area hey slow down that's an area of concern for them and so they'll slow down they won't want to go but instead you know you look behind them you go out to gather a cavy of horses which is a group of horses out in the pasture you get behind them and then you drive them off of that space and then they come in the corral it's never a situation. I think like anybody that would know that, you know, you don't have to know too much, but bring the horses in, okay. And so they, you'd get behind them and then you'd drive them off that space. But nobody would really, I would hope not, nobody would really go in there and stare the horse in the face and say, go there that way, you know. You would draw too much attention, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. When I stopped working with horses where I, uh, I stopped drilling, so if, you, if you've never experienced a good stop on a horse, then you sort of tend to keep trying, practice. I'm going to practice a stop, I'm going to practice a stop. And then pretty soon there's a line there, and now you're drilling. And now it's sort of like, and the horse stops, but he doesn't stop good enough. But he stopped. And so that's sort of like asking somebody, hey, what's 2 plus 2 is 4? And then ask them, what's 2 plus 2? 4. Yeah, but what's two plus two? Well, it's four. And then pretty soon, what's two plus two? Is it six? Is it one? Then you start doubting because you, you don't understand why this person keeps asking you the same question. So they must need a different result. And so in the same way with the horses, when you start drilling a horse again and again, he has to figure that maybe he's not giving you the right answer. But in all actuality, he stopped for you. He stopped, he just stopped. He didn't stop ideal, 
He was a little on his front end. He nosed out. But he stopped. So why can't that be good enough for the moment? And then go off and do something else and ask him to stop again. It's just one day in the life of working with a horse. And so the, the that sort of pivotal moment, and I don't know, this sort of came on, didn't come on like all at once over many years. And then pretty soon one day, I just didn't drill anymore. But I was sort of weaned myself off there. There's this trainer named Bob Loomis, and he was famous for, I don't know if he made it up, uh, you know, if he was the original creator of the saying, but he was famous for saying, you know, if you just get 1% per day improvement on the horse, then in 100 days you'd have 100%. And man, that stuck with me. It's like I, I grabbed onto that. I'm like, that is freaking perfect. Because then, but do we need even 1%? So one, if the horse improved 1% a day, over 100 days, you'd have 100% of a like your goal. But really, that's 100 days isn't much with the horse's training from start to finish. So you you'd have you could have some years in there. So it would be reasonable to say uh, three, three to five years for you know I'm not putting a timeline. Don't don't just take that. Oh, it's five years. It's this year. But have you rode your horse for three years, and accumulative riding? So if you're just a uh, a person that rides on the weekends, okay? So that's 52 times a year. That's not, a, you haven't even rode your horse two months inside of a year. So how long that will that take you? So you can do the math in any, any combination. I'm not gonna do the math for you, but you can figure that out on your own. You're like, wow, so that brings the broader perspective. You're like, whoa. So how can I expect this horse to be at this finished level, quote unquote finished level, when I only ride him 52 times a year. That's not even two months a year, right? When you know that, then you're easier on the horse, right? And so then you'd say, well, what could it be measured? And this is what I came up with. I kept reducing the percentage down. It's like, well, what, what, what would the percentage be after a year, after two years, after five years? And then it got so minuscule, you know, like one thirty-second, one sixty-fourth of a percent per day. No, and it's even lower than that. And so then, what is it? What's the factor? Consistency. You're the same every day, and that's it. Just touches your heart because you're like, wow. It's just relationship. Day by day relationship. That's what gets your horse better. I like that. It's true. Well, something I like to ask everybody, if you're ready for it, is what is something within the community that you'd like to see evolve or change? And then how are you, if you are, if you aren't, can you implement that change? First thing I think about is a balance between the the appropriate, what, what we would call is uh, we meaning uh, people that are in the uh, training horses and working with horses and, and uh, being a horseman. I'm not a horseman yet. I'm my goal is to be just a really good horseman and I'm working toward that goal but is to have the appropriate firmness with these horses man there are so many people that uh, they come in there so freaking hard and they're sending the horse around in the circle and they're bumping them this isn't right this isn't right bump their head bump their head move the hind quarter over that's not right that's not right it's no longer natural horsemanship anymore. It's predator horsemanship. You're trying to present this good feel to them, but the horse ain't believing you. 
because every five seconds you gotta make this correction. If you're in that realm, you're so far off the mark with a field-based approach. And so don't do anything more than you have to do. And always experiment with doing less. Start out with less. And then some people you gotta say no, like way less. And then some people, they're, they're so aggressive around the horses, getting them to move, you gotta move this way and this way, that you gotta tell them, it's like, just think about it. Before you direct your horse, think about what you want first. And then a lot of times that's just enough. It's almost, it's, it's bordering on the physical and the mental. It's, is it the mental? Well, the mental, your attitude changes your physical body. They can feel that. They can know where you're looking and everything. So I would say that first, and then the, the next thing I would say is understand how a horse moves naturally. And so we're shutting these horses down. We're yielding the hindquarters over on the premise of, see that a lot of those maneuvers are for the human. It's because it makes me feel safe. Every place I go, I thought I was supposed to do that. I thought because that's what I was taught. And when you have a horse face up and demand respect for them, you close off the energy, you shut the horse down, and then physically he's on his front end. Anyway, to get to my point, is just work with the horse with a little less abruptness. Get a free-flowing movement where they're going to the right, to the left, and leave those hindquarters alone. You know, there's these defensive postures in these horses they do. I'm working with these wild range uh, colts in Montana at times, and they live with the lions and the bears. They do not trust you. They don't trust anybody. So if there's a choice to give the horse fight or flight, You'd much rather have flight than fight because flight is freedom and you let the horse feel good about himself inside. Yeah, and sounds like the safer option of the two for the human as well. So one thing that I'm doing just at the very end of our recording is I'm letting whoever I have on ask me one question so people can get to know me and you know nothing about me. So right. <laughs> so. So you have a talent for this, for, for interviewing, and you, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not in the spotlight kind of guy, you know, it's like, so I get nervous, I'm just human, I get nervous. How do you make a, a person feel comfortable when they're, when you're getting, giving them an interview? Like, how do you get them, how do you get me to feel? Because that's like horsemanship too. Yeah. Well, I do, I did want to be a therapist for a lot of my life. I have my undergrad in psychology, but didn't want to go on to do my master's and stuff, and I think... One thing is body language, right? A lot of, I've, most of our interview, I'm leaning forward, I'm engaged, I'm paying attention. And I feel as though really just that being part of the conversation and not kind of looking away, I'm paying attention is a big part of it. I think with interviewing, I focus on the way that you say things and certain things that you bring up, like when you said you traveled to Europe for some workshops, the fact that you brought that up means you're okay talking about it. And that's why I pulled that out of you. Yeah. So little sure. things like that or certain words that people use, I'll pull a word that you use. It's funny because friends that know me, people like to tell me things and like to talk to me because I, I don't know why, yeah. I guess I'm just friendly. It's a skill. <laughs> it is. I was just going to say when you were saying all that, it's, a, it's an art. Yeah. You know, it's an art. So my friend Brett Davis down in Arizona, he, he such a cool cat, this guy. He says, you know, 
I just want to turn everything into art. He loves art, mm -hmm. like the physical art. He says, you know, I just want to turn everything into art. You know, and I said, wow, that's just, that's just cool. Horsemanship is an art. And uh, he wrote this book, The Started Colt. It's just so, so awesome. You get that a little plug for him, but The Started Colt, Brett Davis. You got to get this book. It's just, it's not a training book. It's like the art of horsemanship. And that's all, all you got to know about it. Just amazing. So I think that's what you're doing. And that's what I, I'm trying to do, you know, with this. Getting away from the drills, having that feel, you know, that feel-based approach to horsemanship, not maneuvers. A maneuver is like a hardness, right? It's like you do this, you do it this way. It's like a drill yeah, team. Yeah, a drill, but when you're dancing. There's just more flow. It, yeah, make up stuff, have fun. Dancing with somebody and the girl starts giggling. Why are you giggling? Oh, I never did that before. You just said, <laughs> and it's totally sloppy. It's totally sloppy, but I was like, wow, they're having fun. Because that's feel. Yeah. And it's like, what can we do? What can we create together? And that's how I view, view the horses. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for chatting with me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hello again, and thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to continue listening, don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. Follow on Facebook and on Instagram for some extras and some sneak peeks and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. See you next week. <laughs>